It's, uh, it's great to be here again and uh, continue our, our series on, um, on fire. We, uh, it's getting a lot harder to, to review the messages now. You know, when, when we're only two weeks in, you could get up and say, so-and-so brought the word last week and remember what it was about. But now we're about five weeks in, I think, or six weeks in. I'm starting to forget them. So um, I'm just going to mention Graham because he was the most recent. And uh, that's the only one that's still in my memory. And a couple of things, Graham. One of the things I wanted to take up with you was you mentioned that um, touching of the mouth was an intimate act. And I know you didn't go to my school because we uh, quite often had fat lips after an intimate touch from one of our friends. But one of the other things that, that Graham mentioned, and we're going to chuck that picture up if we can. Thanks, Cam. Oh, it is up. There it is. I, I love this. I, I don't know if it affected any of you last week, but this picture of the... I don't, can you see it there? Just a candle, the candle flame. And just on either side, it's only small. But one of the reasons I want to throw this up today is just to, to, to remind us why we're looking at this whole series of On Fire. And that reminded me of the just the nature of God's fire. It's both enormous, like a, a mountain full of fire, but it's intimate, like a single flame. And when the disciples were in the upper room and the, and the Holy Spirit came, what actually happened was like the pillar of fire that they experienced in the Old Testament came into the room. This is what it literally says in the Greek. And it was distributing itself... In other words, what was a huge pillar of fire turned into small tongues of fire and distributed itself upon each person. So they actually saw a small tongue, like a little candle flame, on each person's head. And what it was ex- expressing was the manifest presence of God that had, had, a, that had guided Israel in the Old Testament. That was now the intimate presence of God. So the God that guided Israel was now intimate with each disciple guiding their life. And to me, that's amazing. I want to talk about that a little bit today. But we're going to talk about, uh, if we can throw the slides up, the the sermon topic is fire walking. I was kind of hoping the wood still be here. Because I thought we could like, you know, get a little bit of a pit and try it out, walking across the flames. Yeah, I was going to leave the, um, the R.M. Williams on. I thought that might, that might be a bit of a good idea. But, you know, there are some religions that do that. And there's these, you know, I, I know guys where you're from, they do a bit of that kind of stuff, don't they? A bit of fire walk, bit of old fire walking on the weekend. And, um, but there's others that, that do it just as a mind control thing. But today I want to look at the original fire walkers. And so we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. As we continue our topic about fire. So fire walking, the God who is with us in the fire. So this is a story of um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And whenever I say that, I want to say Shadrach. Who'd have a name like that? Meshach, what kind of name is that? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Whoa. Nobody remembers that, okay. Graham remembers that. I can see him nodding up the back. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happened when 
the Israelites were captured by Nebuchadnezzar and taken back to Babylon, there was three prominent guys, Daniel, hence the book Daniel, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and they became like leaders in Babylon at the time. And so this story is focusing on something that happened to these three guys. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is the the king of Babylon. He's the one that captured them and took them back and set them up as leaders in, in uh, in the country. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps. I wanted to use this version because I really love that word, satraps. You know, you can imagine. I'm going to make you a satrap. Thanks. Couldn't I just be like an administrator? A satrap. He summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he set up. Okay, next screen. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship the image will be immediately thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. Now, some of you kids growing up, Mum and Dad said, you've got to come to church. Yeah, you never got threatened with that, did you? Blazing, fiery furnace. Okay, keep going. At this time, some of the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> you can kind of hear the voice, Oh, king, live forever. <laughs> May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree to everyone must fall down and bow the image of gold. But there are some Jews who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold. I want to stop there for a second and just say, now this comes just after chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream and nobody could tell him what happened in the dream. But Daniel came and told him the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, oh Daniel, your God is the God of gods. A few minutes later, he's got a 60, 60 cubit high statue set up and he's telling everybody to worship that. And there's a little trick here for us. As people are on their way to Jesus, they won't always look like a Christian. Have you noticed that? Sometimes I'll say, oh, God's been really good this week. And next week, they're building some image. And we've just got to be patient with that because they're on a journey to Jesus, just like us, Yeah. So anyway, back to the story. They neither serve your God. So is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, I'm going to give you a second chance. Okay, that's not there, but that's what it means. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able you to rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar just really made a dumb move there. Because he challenged not just Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but he challenged the God they served. Okay, let's keep going. 
Uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not deliver us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, keep going. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. Now that's not literally what it says in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew it says his, his countenance toward them changed. And what that means is his face was contorted with rage. He got pretty upset about this. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Okay, keep going. Um, Now, I've got to insert in here. When they threw the guys into the flaming fire of furnace, a fiery furnace, the, the fire from the furnace came out and consumed the seven strongest soldiers. So aren't you glad you weren't? on soldier duty that day. And so they're down, they're thrown down into this fiery furnace and then the king looks down into the furnace and he sees, hang on, I see people walking around down there. Now, he's thinking that's not supposed to happen. You know, like when people are thrown into a flaming fiery furnace, normally they're just eviscerated, they're gone. And so he looks down and there's some guys having a little bit of a stroll. And he went, hang on. Didn't we throw three in there? Look, there's four men. I see four men walking in the, in the fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. You know, just keep, keep going. I think that's the end. Fiery trials. Fiery trials. This was a fiery trial, Yeah. And um, if we can throw, just throw to the next one. Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, he's writing to the Jews that are dispersed throughout all of the provinces of Asia. And no doubt he's thinking back to this story. You know, he's, as he writes this verse, he's, he's thinking back and he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What I want to talk about this morning is enduring fiery trials. Has anybody found that in your life, from time to time, you come across fiery trials? And sometimes they're fiery trials because we've done something dumb, yeah? But sometimes they're just... Somebody else just does some stuff and all of a sudden we're in the middle of something we didn't want to be in. And it's like, how do we, how do we deal with this? How can we be delivered from this? Is, does God want to deliver us out of it? Does he want to take us through it? What's the story? How can we understand this? Because the reality is they're going to be there. And if we don't understand it, if we don't know what's going on, and come up with God's plan for what's going on, the fiery trial is most likely just to smash us. And 
And I have a lot of friends that when the fiery trial came and they got smashed, they got disappointed with God. What I want us to understand, Paul, Peter's saying it, he said, friends, don't be surprised with this is coming. It's like, <laughs> it's something unusual. This is what's supposed to happen. In fact, Proverbs says, man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Paul wrote, anybody who wants to live, he's writing to Timothy and he says, anybody who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's no way we can escape this. Some of it's persecution because we're Christians. Some of it's just stuff because the devil wants to get in our face. But how do we get through this fiery trial? See, I believe that one of the aspects of being on fire, one of the aspects of being a fire-baptized believer is the ability to come glorious through trials. Psalm 23 says, I think it's Psalm 23 and verse 4 says, Even though I walk... Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, not be afraid. Why? Because you are with me. You are with me. You're with me walking in the furnace. You're with me walking in the trial. And this morning I want to talk about how, how do we get God with us in the midst of the trial to deliver us? And what is God doing with the trial? Is, is he just oblivious? Is he kind of up there watching from a distance? Or does he have a plan? Is there a plan for you and me every time we find ourselves in a difficult situation? I want to suggest to you this morning that God does indeed have a plan. Look at the, what it says at the end. He says, endure the trial because at the end of it, God's glory is going to be revealed. When God tries us, when, when we find our faith being tried, the reason we find ourselves in that place is because God wants to come and inhabit it and make it glorious. Amen. He wants to come and inhabit it and make it something amazing for his glory. At the end of this story, Nebuchadnezzar says, boys, come out of the fire. So the three of them came up out of the fire. The, the, the Bible says that their clothes weren't singed. They didn't have the smell of smoke on them. And Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the God of gods. Your God is the King of kings. And let it be known if anybody says anything bad about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's God, they'll be torn limb from limb. He just quite hasn't got the whole grace thing happening yet in his life. But there you go. He's on a journey to Jesus. Okay, next slide. So look at what James says. I'm not sure if I'm 100% with him on this yet, but I'm also on a journey to... Count it pure joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, there's a key word here. I'm going to give you a hint. It's the one in the different colour. This is the key to being successful in the midst of a trial. It's knowing. Look what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. I've got to go back to my notes here, otherwise I'm going to get lost. So this morning I want to talk about, if we go to the, the next slide, I think I've got another verse. Yep, no temptation has overtaken you. See, this is another knowing. 
if, if we're in the middle of a, a trial and we remember, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able to stand. But with every temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you might be able to endure through it or endure in it for his glory. He is able. We are in the prayer room this morning and um, Murray read out one of my favourite passages of scripture from Ephesians chapter 3. And at the end it says these words, Now unto him who is able to do. You've got to read it in the right way. You can't just say, now unto, unto him who is able. Because he's able to do. Exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. According to his riches in glory? No, different, different passage. According to his spirit that's working in us, I think it says. Okay, next one. Jesus walking with us in the trial. Nebuchadnezzar looked down and there was a fourth man in the trial with those guys. A fourth man. Who was the fourth man? Nebuchadnezzar says, there's a fourth man there and he looks like the son of the gods. Now, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I don't think he, he had a white robe and sandals and long hair and a beard. But there was something about his countenance. Most commentators would say, Old Testament commentators, would say this is a Christophany, is one of the words they use, which is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. Another, another school of thought talks about the angel of the Lord. In other words, it's a manifestation of God in human form. But whatever it was, God was with them in the trial. And this is, this is the goal of today. It's for us to see that God has a purpose in trials and he wants to walk with us in the midst of the trial. Okay. The challenge is to get a supernatural agency working for you. Who's found it successful just, just to work the trial out by yourself? Anyone? That's one of those, how's that working for you moments, isn't it? See, who's ever had a cat that's brought in a mouse, you know? One of those things, or a, a dog that's carried in a bird and dropped it in the, in the house and said, look what I've done, aren't I good? It's a little bit like that when we try and work through a trial in our own strength. We're saying to God, God, look what I've done, aren't I good? And he goes, he looks at us like we're a dead bird in the living room. (laughs) No, what we want to do is we want to get a supernatural agency with us in the trial, yeah? We want to see the Son of God walking with us. And if we can go to the next slide. Paul says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection... And the fellowship of his sufferings. Very deliberate words there. The fellowship of his sufferings. 
I want to know the fellowship of Jesus in my sufferings. I want to know that he's there with me. I want to feel his presence. I want to hear his voice. I want to come up with a plan that's not my dumb plan, yeah? I want something that's, I'd like to hear the plan from someone who's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who knows what's happening, he knows what's going to happen, and he knows all the stuff in the middle. I think that's a good plan. And so that's what Paul says. This is what I want to know. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. When I'm in a trial, God, let your presence come. When I'm not in a trial, (laughs) and there's the key, when I'm not in a trial, let your presence come. Just throw up the next screen. Anybody had one of these? A Jesus loves me key ring. I've got, I've got a key ring that says the world's greatest granddad. And uh, sometimes I carry it in my pocket, you know. You know, if I'm missing my grandkids, I put my hand in my pocket, feel the key ring, go, yeah, world's greatest granddad. But imagine if I never talked to them, if I never bought them a present. If I never interacted with them in their life, never took an interest in them, never asked them questions, I ring them probably three times a week on the way to school because they're going to school when I'm going to work. So I ring them up and ask them about their day and ask them kind of stupid granddad questions that you do when you're a granddad and make a goose of myself. But, see, God is not like a rabbit's foot thing you know we carry in our pocket and when we need him we stick our hands in our pocket and we feel the rabbit's foot or the Jesus loves me thing and we go oh yeah yeah feel better now feel better now yeah yeah okay 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 God's with me yeah yeah feel that feel that okay good yeah yeah great God doesn't want to be like that he wants to actually be with us and we sense his presence and look if that's where you need to start to feel God's presence, that's fine. I know. Sometimes I feel like that when I'm preaching too, don't worry. Okay, let's keep going. No, let's stop there. I forgot to say something. I knew I would. When, how can I put this in a nice way? I'm not going to put it in a nice way, I'm just going to say it. If we want to know God with us, we have to be with him. Yeah? If we want to know God with us, we have to be with him. There's a story in the Old Testament in in Joshua chapter 5, I think it is. And Joshua and the children of Israel are just about to go into to Israel, into Jericho. You know, the story, the walls came tumbling down, that one. You know, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, went around seven times, walls tumbled down, that sort of story. Okay, it's that that one. And while he's contemplating going in and attacking Jericho, he's kind of out by himself. He's up amongst the rocks and he's looking out over the city, you know, pondering. A bit like when we've got something on our mind or something big's coming up and we just go to a quiet place and and ponder, you know, have we got this right? What are we going to do? And while he's there, this this huge warrior kind of guy shows up. And Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And the guy says, neither. 
I've come as captain of the Lord's hosts. In other words, I'm the captain of the heaven's armies. And here's the deal. I'm not for you or against you. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, it, it wasn't holy ground before this guy came, but when he came, it became holy ground. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to have his presence in our life so everywhere we walk, it becomes holy ground. You know, we can be in a work situation that's tense and horrible, but we bring the presence of God into that and it becomes holy ground. And God has the capacity then to come and to work. This is probably one of the most underutilized things about the church. And, and we need to change this. We're getting much better at worshipping, but we're, getting re- we're still not getting really good at praying and interceding. Because if you think about it, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. And he gave us a bit of a hint with the Lord's Prayer. Now the Lord's Prayer is not something we say, like wrote. That's not what it was meant to be. It's not meant to be like when we get together, we all go, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, amen. No, we're meant, to, we're meant to take the aspect of it. And the thing he says is, this is what I want you to do. When you come and pray, acknowledge who God is and then say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did he ask us to pray that? I can't, I can't tell you this in, in the time I've got. Simply to say this, he gives us the ability to bring his kingdom into the earth. In other words, when we bring him with us, we bring him all in all his majesty, all his power, and he says, I'm going to give you this capacity to bring my presence into situ- circumstances and situations and call down my power, my will, and my kingdom into your world. And, and we don't take it advantage of it enough we just let the world buffet us you know knock us around sometimes who's ever felt like they were in a pinball machine and they were the ball that's not the way God wants us to be he wants us to bring his majesty now the key to this is choosing what side we're on like Sorry to do this to you guys, but if there was a line down the middle of the church and this side was God's side and that side was, well, you know what I mean. (laughs) We've got to choose sides. Look at what these guys said. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand, either by the furnace or by the furnace, if you get my drift. One way or the other, they were coming out of this alive. One with eternal life, the other one with life there. But even if he does not, what we want you to know, your majesty, is that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up because we've crossed the line. We're on this side now. See, we're with God. Ephesians says that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And before we can ever get him with us, we have to be with him. Now, as I said at the start, that's a journey. 
And all of us are on that journey at some level. It's like one of those continuum lines. And we plot ourselves. You know, there was a time where I was a lot less with him than I am now. And you might say, yeah, that's, that's where I am too. Or you might say, and I know people like this. My father-in-law was amazing. When he got saved, he had a miraculous encounter with the power of God. He, he literally saw, you know when you go, somebody gets prayed for and they're healed and they go to the doctor and says, I'm healed. Well, he literally saw a guy who had one leg shorter than the other. He literally saw the guy's leg grow. He, didn't, he wasn't watching down at the foot where everybody watches and you know, the foot goes like that. He was, the guy had shorts on and he was watching just below the knee and he saw the skin go... Well, the movement was God, the noise was, was my invention. Anyway, he literally saw that and in a moment he went from a smoking alcoholic to a non-smoking, non-drinking God lover. Now, I don't want to talk about smoking, I don't want to talk about drinking, but for him they were big issues, and in a moment he met Jesus and he was changed. And he's been like that for 50 years? Not that long. 40 years. Not that long either. 45 years. Hey, it's not my father. Dan's father. But, but he was right, right up here on that continuum. But one way or the other, God wants us to be with him. If we're with him, he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you if you're with me. Okay. I think I've gone about as far as I can go. Now I want to talk about some other things. Okay, let's go. What's the next one? I forget what they are. The keys to enduring the trial is knowing. Okay, throw that up. We've been there. Done that. Okay, we've done that too. Get rid of that. How do fire-baptised believers approach trials? You're going to hear me using this term a lot. Fire-baptised believers. Because that's what John said we would be. One who comes after me will baptise you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So this is what fire-baptised believers. That's another word of saying complete ones, okay? We're going to move quickly through this because Pam's looking at her watch. Daniel 11.32. Isn't this fantastic? Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt. He shall corrupt the devil with flattery. But look at this. The people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. That's the ones, just, just in case you're wondering, that's the ones on this side of the line. Okay? Or, or, in fact, if the line was here and this was the good side, it's the ones on this side. Okay? The people who know their God. Remember, remember I said knowing? It's all about knowing. Being successful in, in overcoming a trial and coming through the trial for the glory of God is about knowing. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Okay, let's move quickly to the next slide. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. I want to take this passage in the last few moments and just talk about how God uses these things to bring us through a trial. Okay, number one. God gives us faith to confront the trial. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Another translation says, faith is the substance of what we hope for. It's the stuff. 
It's the stuff we can touch and feel and grab onto. It's the stuff that impacts us and it's the stuff that enables us to confront the things that we have to confront. This, this passage goes on in the next couple of verses and says, by faith, men of old gained approval. So the first one, faith helps us to confront a trial. So when we see a trial coming, what do we know about the trial? We've already talked about that. God wants to use it for his glory. Okay, what else do we know about the trial? It will not be so bad we can't get through it. God is faithful, remember? He won't allow us to be tested or tempted greater than we're able to stand, but he will create an escape plan so that we can go through it with success. So we know that. What else do we know? We know that trials are working for us. Paul says, says these moment he calls them momentary light afflictions, which included being um, three times receiving 39 lashes, uh, being shipwrecked, what else? Uh, being stoned to death, momentary light afflictions. It's a slightly different perspective to me, really. But see, that's what happens when you know, isn't it? That's what happens when you've got a supernatural agency working with you. Okay, so we, we confront the trial knowing that God is with us and he's taking us into it. Next one. Hope to endure the trial. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, when we say, uh, you're going to have a good weekend? Yeah, I hope so. I'm not talking about that kind. Okay, because that's just like, yeah, I hope so. I hope it works out all right. No, no, this is, this is where we have something solid. Romans says, not only that, but we even boast in our afflictions, knowing that the afflictions produce endurance and the endurance proven character and proven character produces hope and that hope does not disappoint. It's something powerful. It's something where we hope that God, our hope is strong that God will bring, it through it, bring us through it to his glory. Now, next one. This is the last one. And the, remember we said these things remain faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want to suggest to you that the highest of these is love as well. Okay? We know that in all things God works together. Sorry, God, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called, into, are called according to his purposes. There's a, there's a component of this. When we understand that God is using our suffering and our struggles and our trial to manifest his presence and to bring his glory, there's an aspect of this that's involved with the love of God. I want to suggest to you this morning that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego loved King Nebuchadnezzar. And their focus was not on their physical suffering. Their focus was on him being revealed, God being revealed to him. Yeah. Now, I want to tell you a quick story and I'm done. Paul and Silas went down to Philippi. Some of you have read this, some of you may not. It's in the book of Acts. And they, were, uh, they met a, a woman named Lydia. She got saved. They started having church in her house. And they were c- coming and going in the city of Philippi for a number of days. And what they experienced as they walked through the town was there was this slave girl that came. The, now, she was, she was like a clairvoyant, you know, kind of a bit like the, the guy on TV, you know, the 
crazy little funny guy on TV. Anyway, she, she was like that and she, she earned much money for her masters by telling people's fortunes. And so this girl started following them down the street and started calling out, these men are servants of the Most High. Truth. And it says that she did this for about three days and Paul got really ticked off with it. And he turned around to her and he said, I adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the Bible says the spirit left her in a moment. Now, That was the beginning of their trials because the masters recognised that their hope for making an ongoing income just stopped. So there was a big ruckus. Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and they were thrown into prison. Trial continues. Gets ramped up a little bit. Heat it seven times. Rods, bleeding, thrown into prison, shackled. And And so there they sat. Did they have faith? Did they have hope? I don't know, but the Bible says at midnight they were praying and singing hymns, all beaten and bloody. And then what happened? The supernatural agency came to work on their behalf. And an earthquake hit jail. All the doors sprung open. All the shackles fell off all the prisoners. The jailer ran in and he saw that what was going on. The doors were open and he knew that to lose a prisoner from a Roman jail was a death sentence. And he decided he was going to choose which way he was going out. And he drew his sword and he was about to finish himself. And Paul and Silas called out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The Bible says he fell down in front of them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus with all your heart, and you and your household will be saved. Paul took them, uh, the jailer took them home to his house, washed their wounds, bound their wounds. Uh, the family were gathered. Paul leads the whole family to Christ, and they're all baptized. And all of a sudden, there's a new church in Philippi at the jailer's house. Because, see, in the midst of a trial, God has determined that he will be glorious. And, see, it was more important to Paul that that jailer found Christ than it was that he got beaten. Because he had faith that God wanted to use the trials that he found himself in to bring his glory. Amen? Amen.